For the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about some things specific to uh, life in the church and really specifically uh, life in this church. And we started off uh, back in September talking about the ordinances of the church. We talked about baptism and communion. And then we talked about uh, congregational care, like the kind of care we expect to receive simply by being part of a church. We took some time to talk about some priorities for the coming months. We called that message, uh, These Are the Days. And we said that in this time when God uh, seems to be moving in our church and moving in our community and in our homes and in our circles of influence, uh, then there are some things we must do. And this wasn't an exhaustive list. It wasn't a once and for all list. These are just some things that we want to focus on right now for the foreseeable future. Then last time we talked about core values, and we, we kind of talked through some of these priorities that guide our culture as a church. So by the way, if you've missed any of these messages, uh, a couple in September, uh, three I think in October, and today, and you consider Faith Community your church home, I really encourage you to uh, go to our website, watch those messages on, um, right there on our media player, or listen on our podcast, just so we can, uh, we've been teaching uh, to provide some clarity about some expectations about our experience together in this church. So we want to get everybody on the same page. It is exciting to be a part of what God is doing and be along for the journey. Um, it's exciting to see what God's doing in our church, in our, in our homes, in our families, um, through our church, and sometimes in spite of our church. Because we don't get everything right. But we're committed to constantly improving and evaluating and recalibrating because we want to be in a place where God can use us. So this morning, there's going to be an element of this is who we are, and this is where we need to be going. And this is the bullseye on the target. And we circle back around every few years to be reminded of some of these things. And if you've been around a long time, you're like, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before. Pretty sure you have. And we, we, and because here's the deal. We know that you have to repeat some of these things because number one, this kind of stuff leaks. Vision leaks. Values leak. Priorities shift. Focus fades. So we need to be reminded. So then, and then, then we're always adding new people to our congregation, and so we want to be mindful of that, again, so we can kind of all function on the same page. So at Faith Community, our mission, our stated mission, is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus for the good of our community and the sake of the world. And this morning, I want to talk about one aspect of how uh, we are attempting to accomplish our mission, just one aspect of that. And I, I want to talk for a minute about the word Neighbor. When you hear that word, there's probably some sort of uh, emotion that comes to you uh, when you hear the word neighbor. And I know we don't, like we live in a predominantly rural area, so most of us don't live in a neighborhood. Um, And even if it's true, perhaps maybe there's been a time when you did live in a neighborhood in a different area or you lived in an apartment building. Here's the thing about neighbors. Neighbors over time get a reputation. In fact, there are people... There are probably people who have been neighbors of yours who have a certain reputation. Someone near you has the barking dog reputation, right? Maybe they have the gardening or yard work addict reputation. Maybe someone near you, you got the loud music or fireworks guy, neighbor. And, and oh, 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 here's the thing. You probably have a neighbor reputation too. Maybe you're the yappy dog neighbor. Maybe you're the yard of the month neighbor. People in neighborhoods, people living in proximity with one another get reputations, including you and me. We have a reputation with our neighbors. Now, 
if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, there's an expectation that Jesus has for those of us who call ourselves his followers. And it's simply this, that we love our neighbor. That's the expectation. We're supposed to love our neighbors. And immediately, the question that comes to my mind is probably the same question that comes to your mind, which was the same question that was posed to Jesus in Luke's gospel in chapter 10, who is my neighbor? So who are we talking about exactly? Like, who is is my neighbor? Is it the person next door to me? Is it the person that lives next door to me even though they're actually a half mile down the road? Is it the person who sits next to me at work? Is it the person that I, every, is it everyone that I work with? Is it people I sit near in church because we all have our seats? Is it, is it everyone at church? Who is my neighbor? So if I'm supposed to, expected to love my neighbor, it would be helpful to know who exactly we're talking about. And I would prefer, by the way, to keep that circle really small. You know, like my family, some of them, my friends, the ones I choose, and maybe a couple people from work that don't give me a headache, and then all my favorite people from church. Does it have to be bigger than that? The question we're really asking is, who around me do I have to care for? So we're going to look at the words of a religious legal expert who asked this same question. You probably know where we're going. We're going to see how Jesus responds. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 to get us started this morning. This is one of the most familiar stories in the entire Bible, and we're going to start reading at verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So the law of Moses would be the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament, and uh, specifically the, the, the two, three, four, and five. And the Jewish leaders of this day would have followed the law of Moses. They would have memorized huge, huge portions of it. They could recite it uh, by memory. So Jesus says, what does it say? Like, how do you read it? What does it mean to you? Verse 27. The man answered, well, it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Verse 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. This is the interesting part. It says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, not unlike us, there were people he wanted to argue were his neighbors, and there were people he wanted to argue were not his neighbors. And this is a very, it was a very common debate at the time. Is it just my friends who are my neighbors? Is it just my friends and the person who actually lives next door to me? Because I don't really want this circle to become too big. There was a debate about how big the circle should be and who it should include. So he wanted to justify who he was choosing as his neighbors. He wanted to know basically what are the rules. And Jesus replies to his question with a story. It's a story you've probably heard. If you spent any time in church as a child or in Sunday school, you definitely heard it because, like, you saw the flannel graph. Okay. And you probably acted it out and you colored the pictures. And if you aren't familiar with the story, you're probably still familiar with the term Good Samaritan. And that's where this expression comes from. Jesus replied with a story in verse 30. A Jewish man... This is important, important detail. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. 
So here he is, Jewish man, half dead beside the road. Verse 31, by chance, a priest came along. I know it starts to sound like a joke, doesn't it? But this is, uh, this is interesting. The priest, a leader in the temple, they all knew what they expected him to do. This guy, he loves God. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to do something about this. It's a leader in the temple. He's a leader in the community. He's going to do something about this situation. A wrong has been committed. He's going to, he's going to make it right. Verse 31, but when he saw the man lying there, what did he do? He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. See, according to Jewish law, if the man had actually been dead, the priest was not to come into contact with dead bodies. That would desecrate him as the priest. It would have made him ceremonially unclean. There would have been this long, involved process that he would have to go through just to be able to do what he needs to do uh, in, in, in temple worship. So he's thinking, this guy's a mess. He could be dead over there. I'm not sure. This could definitely get messy for me. I don't want to get involved in someone else's mess, so I'm just going to cross over to the other side here and avoid this situation. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over. This is like the priest's like right-hand guy. I think he's the youth pastor probably. And he, makes things, he just makes things happen around the temple. And he walks over, and he looked at him lying there. And probably for the same reasons, he also passed by on the other side. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. A Samaritan who the man lying in the ditch would have looked down upon, who he might have even spit in his direction if they'd met each other on this road. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. It says, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Verse 36. And which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. The question that he's asking is, who is my neighbor? It's the same question we ask. Like, who around me should I care for? Who am I responsible to care for? What are the rules around who I need to care for? And, and like, I love how Jesus answers his question with a question because what Jesus was really trying to get to at the, at the, in the story was, do you have a heart that cares for people? So the, the, this man asked a question. He asked a question, a rule question. Like, what are the rules? I need to know. What are the parameters? And Jesus is saying, this is not a rules question. This is a relationship question. The relationship question is, do you have a heart that cares for people, for all people, for the people you come across day to day, over the course of your ordinary days, wherever you encounter and interact with people? Like, are you so worried about who is your neighbor that you're actually forgetting and neglecting to be a neighbor? Are you forgetting to actually love people that were called to have the same compassion that Jesus has for people? came back to this familiar passage of Scripture this morning because there's something here that keeps coming up in conversations, and it's something that we feel really strongly about, because here's the deal. You and I don't often run into people who've been robbed and beaten by bandits and left on the side of the road. That doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't happen in Ellsworth, Maine, or in Hancock County. But we do run into people who feel like life is against them. 
People in our community feel like life is against them. So when you're standing on the side of the soccer field or you're sitting in the bleachers of the basketball game or in the seats during, your, uh, during a dance class, whatever your kids are into these days, or you go to the school thing to see your grandkids perform, whether wherever you're with people and you talk to people, people feel like life is against them. Here's the thing. We have over 55,000 people in our county, Okay. So many of them feel like life's against them. Like even in an economy where every local business seems to be understaffed, so many people go to work every day wondering if they'll have a job at the end of the month. And if they don't have a job, like how do they pay the bills? If they can't pay their bills, what about? And then we just spiral. And they feel like life is against them. I've had conversations with people where they talk about their jobs and they talk about their finances and they talk about family life and their marriage and their kids and they talk about health concerns and then they say th- something like, I don't know what the deal is. Like, it's just one thing after another. I just feel like God is against me. Ooh, we've gone to another level. But it's a common sentiment. So many people right here in our community, in our county, they feel like life is against them and they feel like God is against them. They look around at their life and they just know that life's against them, pretty sure God's against them, and the thing that they don't know, and the thing I wish that we could communicate more clearly and more effectively, like they don't know that Jesus is for them. See, some of us have discovered the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy uh, that knowing Jesus brings, we've experienced that. Some of us have experienced the hope that comes with knowing Jesus. Some of us know what it is to have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We know about the stories that he told about the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son and the lost sheep and these stories that we identify with. And we know about his interactions with people like the woman at the well. And we know about the stories of his healing miracles. And because we know the story of Jesus, we know that he is for us. He is for people. We know that he is in our corner, but there are still so many people that we do life with right here in our community that don't know this. Like maybe they used to believe it or they wanted to believe it, but they are just now convinced that life is against them. So church, we've got to find a way to communicate to them that life is, that God is for them. We have to tell them that God loves them. He wants a relationship with them through his son. So the question that begs of us is how do we do this? Like, how do we let our community know that God is for them? I'm convinced that, that we, I mean, like all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus, whatever church you find yourself in, I'm convinced we haven't done a great job with this. I think we've done a decent job of communicating some things. But I think this message that Jesus is for you has gotten lost and all the other things that we get focused on. So, so here's where I'm at with this right now. I don't think people in our community, the people we work with, the parents of kids that our kids go to school with and play sports with, and the people we do business with, and the people who live near us, I don't think people in our community will ever know God is for them until they know that we are for them. So at Faith Community, more than ever, we need to be for our community. There's something that happens when someone gets in your corner. 
Like when you're in the struggle that we call life and you look back and there's no one in your corner, there's, there's a sinking, alone, life is against me feeling. But when you're in the battle of life and you feel like you're going down and you look back and there's someone in your corner, there's someone who says, I'm praying for you. There's someone who says, I'll text you. Someone says, what can I do for you? How can I help you? When you see that someone is in your corner, it changes something. It makes a difference. And when you come to understand that God is in your corner, it changes everything. Now, like we know that Jesus isn't here physically. He isn't going to show up in a tangible, physical way in your life right now. Like when he left earth and ascended to the Father, he left a little group of followers, a few hundred people, and he's like, now you go in the power of the Holy Spirit, you make disciples, you go do, while you're doing life, in your going, make disciples, it's up to you now, I'm entrusting the work that I started into your hands. In fact, you are my hands and feet in this world, you are my body while I'm gone. We are his body. And people aren't going to know that Jesus is for them until they know we are for them, until they know that his church is for them. And when people see that we're for them, maybe they'll come to understand that Jesus is for them. That's why we need to be for our community. People in our community need Jesus. If that weren't the case, we would put a for sale sign on the property and call it good. The people in our community need Jesus. We believe they need what church has to offer. They need a community like this. Some of us have been having this conversation that we want to be for our community and been talking about this for a few years. And like we want to be for our neighbors, wherever it is we find our neighbors, whether it's in Ellsworth and Trenton and Lemoyne and Hancock and Bar Harbor and Mount Desert and Bass Harbor and Surrey and Blue Hill and Deer Isle and Sullivan and Goolsboro and Steuben and Cherryfield. I don't know if I missed your town. I'm sorry. Like, like if you're struggling in, our, in your marriage, you're struggling with your kids, you're struggling with life in, genu- in general, like we, sh- we want to be able to say, you should check out Faith Community because these people are in your corner. We want, to be, we want this to be true of us. So the question is, what does this actually mean to be for our community? Because you're like, oh, this all sounds nice, warm and fuzzy. What's it actually mean? What's this look like? Well, first of all, I think being for our community is about who we are when we gather and who we are when we go. It's about who we are when we gather and who we are when we go. It's, it's right in the name of our church, right in the middle, faith, community, fellowship. We've always said that the word community in our, the name of our church has two meanings. It's biblical community, the one another verses in the New Testament, to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, biblical community when we're together, and it's the community that we live in. Like we've always spent a lot of time uh, and energy and resources in the gathering part of what we do. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. There's always a sense of urgency around that because I've found that Sundays come around with alarming regularity. Like every seven days, like we need to have a message ready for this room and some music prepared and all the visuals that go along with that and the technical part of that. And we need to have lessons and materials ready for all of our children's environments. And that thing that was broken last Sunday needs to be fixed before next Sunday. And is the heat working and is there propane in the tank? And did the parking lot get plowed? And are all the people in their places for Sunday? And most importantly, do we have enough coffee? That's at the top of the list. We put a lot of energy and resources into Sunday mornings, and we should, because we love creating environments where people can come and gather and experience acceptance and grace and peace and find hope and ultimately, hopefully, experience God's presence. 
We love to create environments and experiences where you are comfortable inviting your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. Maybe some of them are far from God. Maybe some of them have had, imagine, bad experiences in a church. Maybe they're struggling with something and you really believe that if they would come on Sunday, they might find God in this place with all these people who mean so much to you, who've helped you so much in your journey. So there's been kind of a, always been kind of an urgency around the Sunday gathering, the gathering of people, and there should be. We should put a lot of creativity and energy into the Sunday morning experience as long as it's the front door of the church, as long as you know, there are people far from God, unchurched people, who whether they know it or not are actually longing to connect with their Heavenly Father. So there needs to be an urgency around the gathering, but there needs to be an urgency about the going. Like we need to have urgency as we leave this place, that when we walk out these doors, we're passionate about the people that we interact with in our community. So we can stand up here at the front and we can say our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus and we can put it on our website and we can hang it on the wall and we can get kind of in agreement and excited about that. But my question is, are we truly passionate about leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus when we walk out these doors? When we go into our jobs tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, when we do business and life in the community and the other 166 hours of our week. We want to be the kind of church where people know, man, those people at Faith Community, wherever I interact with them, they are for me. Like, they're behind me. They're in my corner. They're cheering me on. They want me, they want me to be successful and healthy, so, so much so that I, like, I want to be with them when they gather. I want to connect with them when they go. So, to make this practical... Uh, I want to give you a couple things that I want to challenge you with, a couple things that we want to do to be for our community. This has the potential to be an incredible adventure, and whenever you go on a memorable adventure, there's one thing I guarantee, that at some point, it's going to get a little uncomfortable. And that's okay, because I've never known Jesus to show up in my comfort zone unless he's there to push me out. So let's lean into these things with a, this, this thing with a passion for our community. So number one, I'm going to suggest be for four families. Four families. There's nothing magical about four families. I just think it's manageable for most people. It's easy to remember. So identify four families or four people who you have some level of relationship or, or somebody you'd like to establish a relationship with, and you're just going to be in their corner. Four families or four individuals who, who just need to know that Jesus is for them. And chances are they may not know that until they know you're for them. Four families or four people you're going to connect with and you're going to support and you're going to pray for and you're going to do life with. So what does that look like? Let me give you an example. Some of you have heard me talk about this in the past and you've heard me tell this story to make this point. So if you have, bear with me because um, it's my story. In the summer of 1975... My dad took his first full-time pastorate in a little church in an extremely rural community in Nova Scotia. How many of you know where Nova Scotia is? It's not that far away. They packed up the family. Uh, My brother and I were four and six. We moved from our house four doors up the street from our grandparents in a suburb of a growing progressive city to a little farming and fishing community five hours away. That little church had 12 people attending Sunday school. So when we arrived, they grew by 33% on the first Sunday. So way to go, Pastor Bob. We're already seeing growth. That pastor actually included, listen, four and a half churches. That's right, Dad can explain that to you someday. 
honestly, I don't know if you've ever been in half a church, but my, by this point in that, in that church community's story, they'd become accustomed to being forgotten by their denomination. Like they had become accustomed to getting pastors who were putting in their last couple years before retirement, pastors like who didn't come to that pastorate uh, to stay for any length of time, and the denomination certainly didn't send anyone with a, with a young family and youthful energy and a vision for the future. But my mom and dad arrived in Lower Granville, Nova Scotia, and decided from day one that they were going to be for the community. And they didn't necessarily say it that way, but looking back, that's exactly what they did. And the community responded. And I remember trips to town that were never just trips to town. They always involved a pop-in visit somewhere along the way. I remember sitting for hours, and Drew can attest to that. I'm talking cumulative years sitting in the car while dad ran a quick errand. I, we never understood what could possibly take so long. We didn't understand the concept of building relationships and having meaningful conversations. I remember stopping at different homes on our way home from town, sitting around or playing outside while our parents had impromptu afternoon tea, many of which stretched into dinner. I remember living in two different parsonages. And, and do you remember parsonages? If you Google it, if you aren't sure with what that concept is. The one thing that stands out in my memory of my childhood homes was the time spent with people around the kitchen table. I know you've been wondering. Some of you knew. But this is my kitchen table. Um, I'm going to throw this over here. Right there. It's been my kitchen table for nearly 33 years. But before that, it was my parents' kitchen table. It was given to them by one of the deacons in our church in Nova Scotia. He built it in his shop as a gift for them in 1976. I went to the trouble to bring this rather large visual aid this morning. It's been here before. Because man, if this table could talk. Literally, hundreds of people, and I got to think about this, it's literally hundreds of people have spent thousands of hours around this table. Because our childhood home was a place that was for people. People were comfortable in our home. I mean, they must have been. They stayed for hours and hours. They were comfortable because my parents decided that they would approach ministry in that little church, in that little community, with a for-the-community attitude. This table made the move with us when we moved from Nova Scotia to Dallas, Texas in 1985. And then a few years later, mom and dad <gasps> bought a new dining room table. I can't imagine why, but so I claimed this table. It's been a fixture in our house for 30, nearly 33 years, and not much brings me more joy in our house uh, than sitting around this table for hours with friends, especially when those friends just maybe just need to know that we're there, that we're for them. At this table, we've wept over marriages, you know, when people just needed someone to listen. Sorry, I'm seeing people in the room, and we've sat around this table. I've seen people begin their journey to sobriety. At this table, we've talked with teenagers who are just trying to figure out how to survive their teen years in their home. At this table, I've seen people processing loss. At this table, I've had people tell me why they just can't do church with me anymore. At this table, I've seen people prayed with. I've seen people laugh till they cry, and I've seen people do permanent damage to their knee if they sit on that end table, <laughs> that end bench. 
<laughs> Any of you who spent time at this table, you have the scars to prove it. Here's, here's the power in this. A lot of people that I've seen at this table, I'd already seen at church. Some of them I saw at church eventually, singing songs and worshiping God and enjoying the fellowship of others in their Christian community, serving in the church and having their lives changed by Jesus. All because someone decided to be for them at their kitchen table. Now, I know your, your kitchen table has probably never been to church, like mine. But there's nothing special about this table, all right? And listen, there's nothing special about the people who invited others to join them at this table. So yeah, I've seen hundreds of people since my childhood at this table. But we're asking you to just start with four. And being for someone isn't about making them into projects. It's about the posture of your heart. Do you have a heart that cares for people? Like, why does it make a difference? Because you, you choose to be intentional. You choose to be available. And choosing intentionality and availability creates a possibility of changing someone's eternity. Like, think about that. Someone's eternity could be changed just because you decided to be for them. Because maybe through you, they discover that Jesus is for them. So we're challenging you to be for four families or four people in our church and in our community and in your circle. Second thing I want us to do as a church is to be for our community partners, uh, for our community partners. We want to be for as many people in Hancock County as possible. We realize that we don't necessarily have the expertise or the personnel to provide all the services that our community needs. For example, like there's no plan for faith community to open a food pantry. Loaves and fishes they, in Ellsworth, they do a phenomenal job with that. There are no plans to build a homeless shelter on the faith community's property because Emmaus Center is doing an incredible job with that, and they have for a long time now. There are no plans to launch a nonprofit for foster care because Safe Families for Children is doing a great job with that. We don't need to organize transportation for seniors and the disabled because Friends in Action is so effective at that. We don't need to create a way to distribute clothes to people who need it because Community Closet is already doing that. What we want to do is continue to partner with trustworthy organizations that are already meeting those needs in our community. What we want to do more of, what we want to get more intentional about as we turn the page into a new year in a few weeks, we want to sit down with these community partners and talk about ways that we can be more engaged with them. How can we be more involved? Like what more can we do? What would you like to see happen that we could help with? Let's find some tangible ways to communicate with people who are leading and involved with these amazing organizations to let them know that we're here, we're available, and we're for them. Hope you'll come along with, that, with us on that ride. The third thing that we want you to continue to do is what we call invest and invite. That is invest in the life of someone who doesn't yet have a relationship with God. Maybe at one point they did, but they've drifted. Invest in that relationship, and then at the right time, invite them to join you for a Sunday morning or a small group, or some experience so they can be around other followers of Jesus who will accept them and encourage them and bring hope into their lives. We've seen so many people start their spiritual journey on a simple invite to one of the two Christian holidays that we observe at Easter and at Christmas. 
Some of you came at Christmas or at Easter because someone invited you and you, they wouldn't get off your back and so you just started coming and you came and you just kept coming and Garth hasn't left the stage since and you just start and you just like we, the, like they, yeah, and this has been the story for so many of you, you just started exploring and asking your questions and you've been here ever since. So in just a few weeks, we're going to have a Christmas Sunday service on December 18th. You're like, that's December, it's a long ways away. No, it is not. And then we're going to have a Christmas night of worship on Wednesday, December 21st. At our night of worship, we'll have dessert and coffee and an evening of worship with music and scripture and maybe, maybe, I'm not promising, but maybe some familiar Christmas songs we'll see. And we're excited about the opportunity to share who Jesus is, to bring a meaningful and memorable experience at Christmas time. So we're asking you to help us with it. Be thinking, be thinking about this, be praying about this, be thinking about it. We're asking you to do a couple things. Serve on that Wednesday night, December 21st at the night of worship, because that didn't get scheduled on our quarterly schedules. We need people to park cars. We're going to need people to help at the coffee uh, bar and at the dessert table. We may need some help with kids, depending on how overrun we are with kids that night. And then we're asking everyone to invite someone. We'll provide some postcards for you as invitations. Invite some friends, invite some family members, invite some coworkers, some neighbors. Like, here's the thing. If they've spent any time with you, they know you're a Christian. Like, at least they know you're religious and you can't do anything on Sundays. You've got to go to church. And you go to church all the time. You like live there or something. So they're already expecting you to invite them at Christmas time. They're already expecting it. Don't let them down. Here's the thing. When we look at these things, these three things that we're talking about, ultimately it comes down to people. Like This isn't about, let's grow a bigger church. It isn't about bigger numbers. It isn't about bigger programs. It's about people. It's about our community. It's about the relationship with God in the present and their eternity in the future. And the people in our community will know that God is for them when they know that we are for them, when they know that you are for them. This is my 34th year in church ministry in this community. Over the years, I've seen some churches start in this town. I've seen some close their doors. Years ago, someone challenged me with this question. He said, if your church ceased to exist, would anyone in your community notice? If our church ceased to exist, would anyone in our community notice? I mean, think about that. That, That's a sobering question to really think about. But imagine if faith community became known as a church that is for you. Oh, yeah, those people at Faith Community, I don't believe all the stuff they believe. I'm not comfortable with all. But, man, are they for you. They are in your corner. I I know who to turn to. When I need someone in my corner, these are the people in my corner. And if they're for me, maybe God is for me after all. Like, maybe they're right. A few years ago, we started using the hashtag for Hancock County. We use it quite often on Facebook where it doesn't really do anything for us. It doesn't work that way, but we use it anyway. And we aren't that active on Instagram where it actually could help us, but we're not out there. We're not... Anyway, this isn't really about a hashtag. Um, This is about an easy-to-remember phrase, something visual, something that reminds us what we're about. So a few years ago, we just figured why not add the hashtag to the beginning of it, and we'll use it on social media. For Hancock County, you know the truth of the matter is that in our church congregation, our active participants at Faith Community, we draw from 26 different towns from all over Hancock County and even Washington County. Lots of people think they know what churches are against. We want to be known about for what we're for. We want to be known for who we're for. 
I hope you'll take up the challenge. I hope you'll go home and have some intentional conversation about this. I hope you'll begin to identify four families or four individuals to bring into kitchen table kind of conversations for that kind of relationship. I hope you'll come along with us as we get more intentional about our partnering with local organizations to serve felt needs in our community. And I hope you'll continue to invest in relationships and invite those friends to join you. Sunday morning, a night of worship in your small group, all the while praying that they would experience God's presence as we gather. Thank you so much for listening. I've gone uh, actually a little shorter than I thought it would be, Ben. So the band and singers are going to, you're like, didn't feel like it, sorry. The band and singers are going to come to the stage and uh, we're going uh, to move this table in a minute. We're going to play some music and actually, go, yeah, if you want to go ahead and let's, let's go ahead and move the table. We'll do that right now. We'll just, we'll just, everybody who has to be somewhere else, we'll do that right now. Um, and then we're going to have, uh, we're going to join our voices together in worship, and then we're going to have, ready for it, our annual Operation Christmas Child Box Parade. All right? So you don't want to miss that. Oh, don't pace yourselves. So <laughs> thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are humbled that you've chosen people like us to carry on the work that Jesus started. What privilege this is, what what a responsibility is, what a stewardship it is. You even trusted us with this. I pray that we take this as seriously as we take anything in our lives. Thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan, for the clarity of that message. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the people around us that you have called us to care for. And I pray that as individuals and as families, as households, and as a church, that we would truly be for people, people made in your image, people who Jesus died for. May that be true of us, in Jesus' name.